he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. friends and welcome to another episode of Bolotified, the one and only podcast about events, entertainment, and engagement. I'm Anthony Bolotta. I'm here as I am every week reminding you to like and subscribe. I'm also here as I am every week with the one and only Alex. Apostolides. I love that name so much. <laughs> Thank you. I love it too. And I love the way you say it. I know I say it often, but it makes me feel kind of special. <laughs> well, we have something else to make you feel special about today, our guests. Yes, mm. yes. You know, our our guest today is one of those artists that when you find him, you don't let go because he is such a gem. He started playing saxophone as a young child and discovered the guitar as a teenager. And since then, he has studied with world-renowned classical guitarist as well as flamenco guitarist and has mastered an extensive repertoire of Spanish classical guitar and all forms of flamenco, two of my favorite things on the planet, I have to add that. In addition to being a world-class musician, who might, uh, I have to add this, just recently opened for Andre Bocelli and Michael Buble. Jealous. So jealous. He started his own sound company, Anthony, in 1981, and wow. he's worked with many local, national, international musicians, as well as um, dignitaries like Mother Teresa, which is so cool. So please welcome the incredibly talented and wonderfully kind Mark Lankford. Hi, Mark. Hi. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate this. I'm looking forward to having a great time this afternoon. We're looking forward to it as well. Thank you for joining us. There's so much to unpack here. We have to start with the obvious and Mother Teresa. Like, how did that come about? And uh, just tell us. Well, I don't remember how I actually got the gig because um, that was quite <laughs> a while back and I was doing so many shows. But I will tell you a quick uh, story about that if you'd like to hear it because yes. it, was, it was humorous, but not really. Um, it was a big crowd. It was at USD, I think out in the soccer field, lots and lots of people. And I had a huge sound system set up and I had a podium. And you remember the podium microphone, uh, the the mic um, holder, they were made out of metal. Mm -hmm. And well, <clears throat> the woman gives the introduction. Of course, you can hear a pin drop in this place. They're waiting for Mother Teresa to say something. And so she walks up to the microphone after the introduction and grabbed the microphone because it was about six or eight inches over her head and <laughs> brought it down very slowly with a huge creaking. <laughs> and of course, everybody in the audience bust up and that's how it started. And they're looking at me like, and I'm going, sorry. So after that was rubber goosenecks. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. oh my god must have been the longest two seconds of your life it, it was because i got the stares from my client like what is going on and i said right. sorry i didn't never done this where i've had that before <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she was a she was a bit of a thing 
Yeah, and another one I was doing for USD, uh, was the president there, and it was pretty humorous too, because um, I had everything checked, the press pass panel, every the press is all patched in. And he gets up to the microphone, and the first thing he does is starts tapping the microphone. Hey, is this microphone on? He's looking around. Hey, is this microphone on? Of course it's on, you know, but yes, it's on. But <laughs> that's the president of the university? Okay. But uh, that was another fun one. Yeah, I love when they do that. I love that. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Is this on? <laughs> so why did you start a sound company? Back in 81, we we had no clue. Well, no clue. It, what it was was I, I came into San Diego in 1980. Um, odd story, but I was actually hitchhiking across the United States with electric Stratocaster before gig bags. So it's in my hand for two months. Wow. But I was coming down from Sacramento, going to Georgia wow. to see my brother. And um, my cousin stopped, said, hey, you know, I'm in um, San Diego. He was going to UCSD and he goes, I'm having a party. So I made my way down, went to his party and I went, met, which is now my wife of 41 years. We were together wow. a year in sin before that. Wow. But so um, I started working at Guitar Center and I got a job there and they were people would bring in used gear and someone brought in a bunch of PA stuff and they said, uh, do you want to, uh, you know, I, they didn't want to buy it. And I said, do you mind if I bought it? And they said, no. So I bought it. And then someone at the store was having, and back then, I don't, you probably remember, but the bands used to play at the clubs for anywhere from a week to two weeks. So it was five nights, two nights off before DJs come in and kill us. And so, um, I started do I did sound for like two weeks for them and someone else hired me. It went on and on and on. And then I got a call from the Martells. You probably remember. Mm -hmm. that yes. Yeah. And that was in 80. That was, I think it, yeah, it was in 81. And it was funny because I was really into hard rock at that time. And when I saw their picture doing doo-wop in fifties and Martells, I was going, these guys, this was before they even called me. I'm going, these guys are, I don't know, you know, kind of goofy to me, but um, then I get a call from them and they say, hey, you, you don't want to see me do sound. And I, I was thinking to myself, not really. So I, I doubled mm -hmm. my rate or what I was doing. He hires me anyway. And that went on for five years. I worked for them and I became really good friends with them. And um, that's how it started. And from there, we did corporates and corporates and more corporates. Yes. And I did thousands of shows ultimately. So They were the original corporate band here in town. Mm -hmm. uh, if you talk to anybody that was in the business back in the 80s, that's the band that they remember that did the bulk of those uh, dates, you know, way before the other bands came around. Yeah, that was kind of the start of it that I knew of, but, but I hadn't been here in the 70s, so I wasn't clear whether there was still, I'm sure there was still going on, but to, not to that. And they were a great band. Uh, and I worked with many other, other uh, many, many, many other talents as well. Did you ever make it to Atlanta? I did. I did. Okay. And I'll have to tell you the story because I, I get there and I went with a friend. We were actually at band practice uh, one night in Sacramento and my sound man was there. And my bro brother told me who was living up there, told me, so oh, your brother's really depressed. You know, I thought, well, I'm going to go visit him. So this is about 4 p.m. So it's 6 p.m. Wrong time to go out hitchhiking. I've got my pack and my guitar and my friend said, oh, I'll go with you. He said later, I thought you were just kidding. Um, but when we finally get there, we were broke. We had no money. I didn't even leave with any money. Honestly, it was so um, unplanned. We get there. We hadn't eaten for a while. And 
I go, hey, Neil, you know, I'm hungry. I got anything? He goes, oh, no, I eat on base. There's no food here. I was like, well, can you go buy me something? He says, no, I'm not buying you nothing. I said, I spent a month hitchhiking out here to see you. <laughs> so, yeah. Can you get me a sandwich or something? <laughs> <you know? laughs> But I jammed, along, to come, right? I jammed along the way at every city I went in, I'd go to the club and I'd say, I'm from Sacramento. I want to sit in and jam with you guys. And many of them let me jam. So it was a lot of fun. Wow. I would never so do it again. Cool. That is the American, the quintessential yes. American lifestyle for a young man in the late seventies, early eighties, right? The ability to, to thumb your way across the country. Well, now I would never do it because now with social media, you realize all the bad people out there. But I didn't. Right. I, I did. We were worried a couple of times. We we were honestly very worried we we're going to be killed, but um, we made it. <laughs> but now, wait, did you hitchhike back? Uh, I did. At week, it was about two, almost two months and a quarter to my whole trip. Yeah, there was very interesting times. Um, like I said, I would never do it again. But. Uh, yeah, but I did meet my wife and now I have my family. I even have a grandkid, another grandkid on the way. So um, wow. it worked out. And that was spontaneous. Two hours after getting the call, boom, I'm on the road. And so I think it was just God's destiny bringing me there. So yep. right. right. And then That's you came awesome. back to San Diego and you stayed. Yeah, I did. I, I did. And um, well, what is I went back to Sacramento. We were playing a big festival uh, at springtime. It, what's then became the high was a high high sierra music festival even robert plant paid but my brother was hosting these things he'd buy like 40 kegs and he would get me and all my friends bands to go up there and play in quincy and i said to her i called her i said hey you know come up to sacramento and hang out with us for the weekend and she did and then i a little while later uh she stayed about a week and then i told my bass player um Hey, I'm gonna and my drummer. I said I'm gonna go to San Diego for about a week. Um, his the bass player's dad lent me some money because I didn't have gas money, and um, I never went back. So <laughs> I couldn't get the gas money to come back. Yeah, well, I'm glad because Sacramento is, is okay, but San Diego's much much. Better, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So, Mark, before we go on, we have something we like to play called Ten Quick Questions. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready to play Ten Quick Questions? Ten Quick Questions. Number one, who is your favorite singer? Ooh, mm. honestly, I would have to say there's three of them. Can I group them together? Yes, you can. We'll give you that, <laughs> that leeway. Go ahead. Okay. It would be Rob Halford from Judas Priest, Ronnie James Dio, and Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, those, wow. Yeah, so. Wow. Well, you are a rocker. Yeah. Yes, you yeah. are. I wore out the Black Sabbath. We sold our soul for rock and roll when I was a teenager. The double album. I still have that double album. I still play albums, if you can believe it. Yeah. So It's because there's no other sound like it. I just got a call for Hell's Bells. Ah! Oh, that's a killer one. I do <laughs> love that. And that song was epic. When that came out, that was a game changer. That yes. was a game changer. I wish I would have wrote that. That's such a great <laughs> song. <laughs> All right, Mark, what's one activity you lose track of time doing? I playing my guitar. <laughs> I literally eat, breathe, and I, I I have no other real hobbies. I love to hike in the mountains and exercise and swim and surf. Um, but really, the guitar without it every day, I actually get anxiety. If I even go like four or five hours without playing, I get anxiety. Like I'm not doing my job. Wow. I want to ask you so much about that, but I have to give you question number three. What's the one thing you wish you could stop doing? <laughs> procrastinating 
<laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Wow. When you find out how to do that, would you let me know? Yeah, please. <laughs> um, do you cry, Mark? Say what? You cry? I do. I'm very, yeah. Sunsets. I'm that guy. You remember that movie um, where he was watching the sunset? I think it was, I forget the movie. But he's watching the sunset and he's bawling and tears are coming. I've said already, you know, that's me. And also, whenever I do, I play weddings many times. And whenever I'm doing a wedding, I cry or um, celebration of life, I do as well. And then when I leave, I'm very much a family man. I love, love, love my family. And whenever we get together, whenever I leave for any experience time, I get very sad too. Oh. You're a sensitive guy. I, I've just, my heart is just. I know, mine too. That's great. I love it. I might start crying. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you. So this next question is perfect. Then what is your next favorite? What is your, excuse me. What is your favorite Broadway show? Mm, Jesus Christ Superstar. I would say. Great show. Yeah. Great show. Uh, yeah. Ian Gillen, when he played it, remember at the Civic Theater um, a number of years back when he sang? Oh my God. That was epic yeah. but I, I love it my wife worked at the civic theater box office for many years when my kids were oh you know in school and she got to go to pretty much every play so we saw every single play there i love them all i, I really do phantom of the opera and all of us hair hair yeah hair. That's another good one yeah. your wife and i have a friend in common i'm sure then uh carolyn satter who was the production manager at the civic theater for many 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 years i bet your wife knows her mm -hmm. uh, she just retired after i want to say 30 years uh so we have a friend in common love 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 that lady and uh the pieces great show i saw it at the la jolla playhouse when it was uh revived uh i want to say it was probably 10 years ago now and that was a really, really incredible production as well. Uh, how long do you take in the shower? I'm a short shower guy, five minutes. <laughs> I appreciate that. Scrub every bit, wash your hair, get out. Scrub the bits and get out, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that now every time I take a shower. That's an odd Scrub question, the by the way, Emily, I know. okay? But that's thank okay. you. I, just, I had to ask. Water, water, water preservation. Uh, have you ever skinny dipped in the ocean? I have, but I worry that the fish are going to see my private parts and thinking there's some sort of smaller fish or something or worm or something. So I kind of <laughs> wonder, you know, like, they could nibble you here or there. That's <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of that, what kind of takeout food do you order most? Oh, Thai food. Yeah. 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 My I'm a, I, I, yeah I love Thai food. I, I love all kinds of food. But thai food. Do you like pad Thai? Like when you get. Thai I, I food? do. That's my wife's favorite. I'm more of a drunken noodle with mock duck or uh, mock duck my favorite egg, eggplant spicy eggplant basil mm -hmm. oh i love that too and penang curry i love those yeah mm. and the spring uh, rolls of course fresh and the fried and yeah, the peanut sauce and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now i'm hungry delicious that's what we're gonna have for lunch uh what's the item on your to-do list that you never ever seem to get to finishing up a new record and i'm working on that now so uh, that's the good news is it originals I, it is, and as well as I would need to do another Christmas record and a um, uh, another classical record because I've been many years, and my wife reminds me at least twice a year 
Mark, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? Oh, I'm working on it, you know, but uh, life gets in the way, but you have to, I think, just, I have to make time. And I've actually been, we're about a third away through this new recording and I'm really happy with it. Uh, it's for a limited audience because it's the heavier stuff, but I'm, I'm like a chameleon. I, I love the most delicate classical music, which I love. And I, I think one day that's all I'm really going to listen to. And I hope my last hours of my life are listening to it. Uh, but I also love uh, what we call campfire, like classic rock, campfire classic rock, like David Bowie, Eagles, uh, yes. Beatles, James Taylor. I play that stuff. I, I, But then I love heavier stuff and I love the heaviest stuff. Uh, I've opened uh, for uh, Slayer, Poison, Striper, our band's open for wow. you know, many, many other groups, Motorhead, Megadeth, um, back in the days. And so I can do that. And it was odd because back then, that's when I was working for the Mardells too. And I would take and in other groups and I would wear my tuxedo going to the, the performance and then I would have to switch and put all my leather studs and spandex <laughs> on and, and makeup and blow my hair up. One time we were with Striper. I don't know if you remember that group Striper, but we were at the Civic Theater and they were a Christian rock band. And it was like holds about 4,000 people. I mean, it wasn't at the Civic Theater, it was at the California Theater, well, before it closed. And we're back in, and this is the big hair days, okay? We've all got, you know, that, you know the, the big blowouts. And we're in the dressing room right before the show, and we got the moose in, me and the other guitar, we're all pissed off, and the electricity goes out. We can't, we, look, we got the blow dryers, we're like, what? We gotta go on. And anyway, <laughs> we, so our hair's all stuck sideways, and. But uh, that was it. And then the very next week, that's when we opened for Slayer there. So that was an interesting uh, times, but uh, great, great times. I love performing. I just, that's, if it, honestly, that's probably one of my disappointments is that I haven't made records. I realized my mistakes because most, all my heroes, all of them, have put out many records. And I honestly haven't. I've never put out a real rock record. I did a couple songs here and there on things, but never really. Did it. I think I think I just never feel I'm good enough. I always feel like I gotta get better. I gotta get better, you know. And I think you just gotta do it. Have you heard you play? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I've been married just a long saying. time. <laughs> My wife hears everything, and she always. I tell you, one time I was playing the Unitarian Church. I think it is in Hillcrest. Yes. For a wedding, and in fact, taste a tie in Hillcrest. Uh, yes. Uh -huh. But um, and I'm playing the wedding, and. She was out there, was, I think 300 people or something in there, 200, whatever it holds. And um, I didn't even hit a wrong note, but one of the strings on my classical just buzzed. And she, of course, has to grab her nose and go like that to me um, as I see uh. her out there. Because she hears every, every, she doesn't allow me to make a mistake. Like, no, if I she do, doesn't. She leans at me like, mm. she's she's actually the worst one I, I'd have to play for. And I've been, you know, she hears me every day. So it's kind of odd. <laughs> Well, to have a critic like that around all the time, that's got to be uh, it's nerve wracking. She's she's the most she's the most difficult person for me to play for. And uh, but she always wants me to play for, her, especially when we have company over and stuff. But I so if I do anything wrong, I I can see it in her face and I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> what about when you do it right? Do you get the same? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And she she loves she loves. Um, I would say like the classic rock stuff when I play the band or I play David Bowie or anything like that. That's she loves. She's she loves that kind of music. She doesn't like the heavy music. Never has. I think she's only came to three of my concerts out of hundreds and hundreds and stuff when I played heavy. She never was interested. She doesn't like it at all. <laughs> well, you know, what is the what, one more of the 10 questions and then a ton of more. What's your first letter 
What's the first letter of your go-to curse word? My go-to what? Curse word. I can't imagine you oh, even use curse Oh, it starts word. with an F. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, it's, so it's that one. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, we read about it. It's in human nature. It goes way, way, way back. You stub your toe. I think it's the, that you get right. out and release that energy from that that pain so whenever i'm and i'm not yep. i'm not good with construction stuff or maintenance anytime i'm doing anything i bang my knuckles i'm like ah, or whatever it is something doesn't work the screw doesn't strips out you know so um i stick to playing the guitar rather than home maintenance <laughs> <laughs> and you play it so well and you oh you're gosh. so diverse the styles that you can play from flamenco to heavy metal there aren't many guitarists that we know that can yeah. no there, that. there really aren't because i've been in the classical and flamenco world for quite a while there's a few um but most of them don't um you're right and and it's funny because i i think to myself many times i go you know if i just did one thing just did classical because really um you have many masters when you're doing what i'm doing you have mm -hmm. classical as your master flamenco as your master um i you know, the heavy stuff, the, the sing-along campfire classics, I call it. And by the way, I've got a project. Well, anyway, we can talk about that. But I have a new project I've been working on for quite a while. That's the most exciting to me at this time. So tell us. Yeah. Okay. Now's right as good a time as that. Yeah. Yes. All right. Okay. Well, I was sitting one day, one of my daughters, Bianca, who traveled many, many, she still does. She just last night came back from Hawaii, but she uh, travels and she came back from Spain and had a book of this. Um, I mean, I, she was in Spain too, but she was in Ireland and had Irish poetry. It was a small book on the bookshelf and I'm playing my guitar one day and I look up and I see that and I pulled it down and I read a poem and it was just absolutely, I went, wow. And I took the guitar and within literally two or three minutes, I had the melody, I had the chords, the whole arrangement done. And it's one of my favorite songs. Well, anyway, I took I took a total of 16 of those poems and have put music to them. Not like Irish music. It's more like just like, like say kind of like acoustic classic rock stuff. Some very mellow, but most of them kind of medium. Nothing, nothing super heavy. And I very it's I think it's my best work I've ever done, honestly. Really? So, wow. Is this part of the recording project that you're working on uh, as well? Well, that's not the one I'm currently doing, but I'm going to, because I my goal has been to go to Ireland. I actually wanted to go. I was thinking, you know, in 2019, okay, I was going to go at 20, and then the COVID came <laughs> in. And though I wasn't, Ireland is still having a hard time, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, my intention <laughs> is to get the record out, go promote it in Ireland, have it played. And I think because this is classic poetry, mainly from the 1800s, maybe early 1900s, at the, and um, great, great poets, and I'm really happy with what I did. And when I looked online, uh, there was only one of the poems that ever been to poet put to music that I could find when I Googled mm. it. And it was, I think, Lorena McKennett who did it, The Wind That Shakes the Barley. And, uh, but she did it in a whole different way. And I went, okay, I got something original. And then my plan is to, when I finish this, because I have them pretty well perfected now. And then I, I had this idea because I was watch Ken Burns movies. I love Ken's Burns mm -hmm. documentaries. Yeah. And he had the Civil War. And there was a letter called Dear Sarah that he talks about. One of the uh, you know, officers who wrote a letter to his wife, Sarah. And within a week, he was dead. But he just, it was so, I got goosebumps right now. I'm rubbing my, I've got goosebumps. It was so profound. Anyway, and he wrote many other, they had many other letters and quotes and stuff from Abraham Lincoln and this and that. So my goal, and I actually, 
took that dear Sarah had been working with that. But I want to take our these these historical words and 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 um, phrases and put them to Americana music. And then I thought, man, I could do that when I'm 90, because you can be old and do an Americana, you know? <laughs> and I thought that's going to be something. So, and I could just stay in America and do my little tours singing this uh, classic. Uh, I love that you're planning for when you're 90. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Well, I hope, I hope, you know, it's funny because I literally, and I'm not kidding, <laughs> every night I play and play and play till I can't, I'm usually standing up, and then I find myself sitting down. And then I find myself falling asleep while my playing. And so I go, okay, time to go to bed. I put the guitar on, I go every single night. And so I think, you know what I'd like to do when I drop dead? I hope I'm playing, maybe not in a concert because everyone will kind of think it's weird, but I hope I drop dead at that time. You know? <laughs> doing, doing what you love most. That's yeah. awesome. I, I think I was born for it because I, I literally, since my first age of life, all I've wanted to do is music. And what's kind of funny too, I actually... Um, hate to say it, but I dropped out of high school um, in my beginning of my junior year uh, because I was taking jazz band, concert band, marching band, and pep band. And um, the we had one band director and I got kicked out. He kicked me. He literally, I was playing saxophone and I had a very, it was in concert band and the line was very simple. Do, 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 do. And I just started, started creating my own line because I was already jamming with people and stuff. And he stops and he threw his baton, launched it at me, grabbed a racer, launched it at me, get out of here, get out of here. And so when that happened, I went, okay, well, if I have music, I have nothing. And so that was that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, that amazes me. Yeah, that a high school band leader would throw you out, and I'm the probably band. the only one still playing. Okay, probably, so. probably, yeah, probably. <laughs> right? Because so, of your passion. Yeah, and you started on the saxophone. Yes, well, it was my my oldest brother Neil, who I went out to see in Georgia. He had played saxophone, and so in fourth grade, I I wanted to play guitar. You know, my dad had a guitar, but I never. In fact, I never had lessons for years. I never had lessons until I was maybe my thirties or something. Wow! Uh, with classical and flamenco, and I had already learned all the repertoire. But I went to Spain and studied with the best people, and, and to Italy, and really studied. Like they say, no more like this. You know, they give me the real interpretation of it. But my mom, of course, being a fifties. Uh, you know, her before had me, she brought up in the 50s, she loved the saxophone. And she said, well, Neil has a sax. Why don't you play the sax? It's so, I love it. Uh, okay, but it wasn't cool because the Beatles, I was really into the right, Beatles. And right. the Beatles didn't have this thing sticking out of their mouth no. on a horn. You know what I mean? And right. so I did it. Well, the second year of college, um, because I dropped out of high school, then I went into airborne infantry, and I was uh, during the end of the Vietnam War. Wow! And I found a guitar. This is funny because I, I was playing in bands. I dropped out. My dad was fed up with me because I was literally out every night, and he couldn't control me because he was um, a businessman, had to go to work. And I would just hang out with my friends and jam. And I saw a recruiting poster. Let's jump out of airplanes. Oh yeah, I'm gonna do that. Well, I didn't realize when you jump out, then you got to play army for the next two weeks on the ground. I thought I get to jump out of planes every day. Well, when I was in my jump school at Fort Benning, I found a guitar, a, a nylon string of all things, upside down in the trash, and I pulled it out. I put strings on it. I started going to the rec center, started jamming with people, and at that point, I said, "This is all I'm gonna do when I get out. I'm gonna do nothing else. I'm gonna play music the rest of my life." And that's what I've done. Wow. Wow, that's yeah. that's and inspiring. And how did it come that you opened for uh, Buble and Bocelli? Okay, I was called to open for Andre 
Rue and the Johann Strauss Orchestra in April, the middle of April at the, uh, we call it Pechanga Arena. I call it the sports arena, but, um, and do a classical. And I said, oh, I'd love to. So I did that. And they, he said, he told me at that point, he said, because where I'm playing, just so you understand, I'm not in the main stage. I'm in their um, VIP lounge, which holds about three and a quarter. And it's the high rollers thing. You know, you get perks or whatever. People go in there and it's an hour before the show. And so he said, you were one of the only ones we ever had where people treated like a concert. They all kind of came up and watched it. So he said that, he said, can you open for Andre Bocelli, which is interesting because the last time he played there, I said, next time I got to do it. But I didn't even know he was playing. I said, I really should be playing for in front of him. And so when he asked me, I said, well, of course I would. And he set it up like a concert. So he brought all the lounge stuff, everything up front and made it almost like a seating arrangement. And they did. And that's when he, and he said after that, he said, he called me, you know, can you open for Michael Buble? And I and they did the same thing. And I have to say on my behalf, everybody was up there. There was no one in the back of the room. And I love it because I just love to play. Now, the Andre Bocelli was an interesting gig because... Um, I had hurt myself doing something very dumb, jumping up on something about two feet to throw something. And I fell back on my shoulder beforehand, like late April. Um, and I had gone to the emergency room a number of times, doctor visits, and I was in the most pain for that Andre Bocelli that I've ever been in my life. I've never, it was constant pain 24 seven. Uh, and I couldn't even, if I, I'm gonna put my hand, but if I, if I even touch, wiggled my fingers, ah, ah, everything, but I had to practice and I had to do it. And I thought, okay, this is God's lesson in pain management. And also how bad do you really want to do this? Most mm -hmm. gigs you had to cancel. You said, I can't do it because I could, I was in so, so here I am playing one of the greatest gigs I can do in the most pain I've ever been in. In fact, my wife came to join me uh, just before I headed over. And the moment she looked at me, she said, I'm not going, you're in horrible pain. I could see it in your face. And I said, well, okay. So she went, in fact, she went and had Thai food, I think at that point. And <laughs> I, I went and did the gig, but anyway, I've been, I'm all good. And it was just one of those dumb things when you jump up on something at my age and then you fall backwards. <laughs> so was this at the Pachanga arena or at yes. the Pachanga arena? And I have to ask this because I'm just mind blown that Bocelli and Buble would play there because the acoustics are awful. It was actually great. It, they were really, and Andre Rue too, they were very clear wow. and crisp. And they were, they were very, very good. I saw James Taylor there. I didn't get a chance at, uh, that was, uh, I think that was before I, I did these other gigs. And James Taylor, I don't know if you guys saw that concert there, but it was no. incredible. <laughs> oh, and their production was the best I've ever, it was so dreamy and magical. It was just amazing. Yeah. I I refuse to see things there any anymore because I have seen so many shows there and walk out with a headache because all I hear is the reverberation mm -hmm. and I'm not hearing the lyrics clearly. Uh, the last time was Christina Aguilera. I went to see her and I couldn't understand a single word she sang. And really? I, I thought to myself, this is just crazy. Well, with this music, the more classical uh, and then, of course, the... Uh, crooner music uh the band was in the background so the voice is big and up front yeah that helps okay that helps mm -hmm. yeah you're not being yeah. drowned out by right by the voice and and how was that experience uh was there any difference in the experience between excluding the pain between Bocelli and Buble 
or were they well, both fantastic? Well, they both, and my experience, of course, was much better for Bublé because I wasn't in the pain. But as far as the uh, concert, they, they, they were, all three of them were, were amazing, um, amazing concerts, really. Mm. Yeah. And I can't, I have this visual in my head, Mark, of a young boy trying to play a saxophone. Uh, I mean, it seems like ludicrous. In my head, I'm seeing an instrument that's larger than a boy. Yeah, so, well, uh, <laughs> well, one of the fun things that my parents used to do, my dad in particular, um, we had a dog, a spaniel. And whenever I played this thing, howled like crazy. And so whenever he had friends, he would call me out to play saxophone, not so they could hear me play sax, although I do five foot two, eyes of blue. Oh, oh that was one of my you know. dad's favorite songs. Yeah, it was at my mom's. And they would, and I, I'd have me play that and some others. But he only did it because then when the dog started howling, sitting by my side, he would laugh and laugh and laugh. And he thought that was the entertainment, you know? Mm. <laughs> how nice by the way he's never he only saw one show of mine whenever i played in bands ever and he came and i was doing the hard rock stuff and um my mom and him they sat like with their mouth open like what the heck is this and they that was that end of that <laughs> wow but 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 are they musical your parents well, my mom played piano growing up she played uh mostly 50s music a little bit of classical clara de lune and and for Elise, mm -hmm. Beethoven and stuff like that. But she had a baby grand, which my brother still plays to this day. Mm -hmm. And she played and I would we would always do Christmas music together every Christmas. And we sang. And then as soon as I, I could, I played guitar from about, well, I remember it was 10 or 11 and do all the Christmas songs with them. And and my dad loved music. He loved class, and he only played classical in the car. That's all he played was classical. But it's funny because when I was playing rock, all my friends would say, you know, Randy Rhodes, you should be doing classical because, you know, that these, these rockers, they're doing that now. But I remember my dad playing classical with this orchestra stuff, and it was so boring to me. I was like, I don't want to do that. Are you kidding me? And one day I'm at a, a, a record place, and I found a Segovia, Andre Segovia, my favorite Spanish encore. Uh, it was a cassette. And I put it on and I lit up. I went, I want to do that. And there was one song in piece in particular, uh, Capriccio Arabe um, by Francisco Tarrega, who I ended up uh, listening. I said, wow, when I can do that, then I know I've got it. And within a few years, I had that. And I still play that to this day. Wow. I mean, wow. you talked about having lessons and studied, you know, as you, uh, as you got older with, with, uh, flamenco artists and and other guitarists but you are basically self-taught i i am uh yeah i taught myself to read guitar music and i i bought books and kept reading and reading and reading every day i literally when i got into classical and flamenco um i all i was doing you know for many many years is just playing guitar with these corporates and stuff once i stopped doing the sound um and i just would sit for 10 12 14 hours a day reading and, and memory and i'm all memorized by that i'm one of these few classical guys i don't put music in front of me i never do I, I don't i don't write a set list i watch the crowd and i kind of feel does it need to be more upbeat okay i'm gonna go more into some rumba flamenco is it mellow they're eating dinner okay i'm gonna play some beautiful melodies and um I've been very fortunate because in that time I, I played for so many people, Gerald Ford, I played for the president of Mexico, Vicente Fox and his wife, Marta, um, many, 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 many uh, people, even, even the Trumps at one point. Uh, and it's funny because when I got called for that gig, 
uh, I think it was Ivanka Trump was doing something. That was in the early 80s, I think, or what? No, it wasn't in the early 80s. But anyway, they um, called me. It was at Inla Barish in Del Mar. Oh, yes. and, yeah. And, yeah, and they were having something. And But the agent called me and says, Oh, Mark, there's a VIP. They want you to play, you know, at the state. Are you open? And I looked at it. I said, yeah. And she goes, well, they're wondering if, if you can give them a discount. And I said, VIPs, and they want a discount? Who is it? And then she goes, the Trumps. And I said, not only no, but hell no. And so they, uh, she calls me back. I'm okay, they're going to pay your rate. But I thought, what the heck? <laughs> oh, my Lord. Well, oh, well, that's... Based, based on what we know now, yeah, not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> my lord but oh, i've been very goodness. fortunate and um you know to, god has blessed me with many many great opportunities and i have to tell you though you know i still get nervous every every show i do uh beforehand but i turn that energy into excitement and into energy and one of the things that was uh made me realize well it's not unique to me being nervous andre segovia I, I, he was my hero for many many years after i bought that uh spanish on course of his and um He's in a video at 76, and he says, I've been playing professionally since 19, uh, since I was 16. So I thought, okay, 60 years professionally. And he's billed as the world's greatest guitarist. And he says in this video, every time before I get on stage, I'm nervous and I want to run out the back door. But every time I get on stage, I never want to leave. And I went, great. Oh, great. The world's greatest guitar player gets nervous every time. We have no hope. <laughs> Do you, I have to ask you this then, um, because I, I think most performers and as an actor, I, I, that the whole imposter syndrome, do you kind of suffer from that or? Yes, I, I would say so. Uh, up until leading up to those shows, I, I don't get, I wouldn't say no, but I get kind of anxious or anxiety a little bit because when you sit with the classical and flamenco guitar, it's dead silent when you start and your hands are so Every little thing you do makes a difference. And what's the problem is like one time I did a television show and they had the three camera shoots and I wasn't even, I'd only been playing a few years. So they asked me to do this television show. And when the lights went down on those cameras and my hands are starting to wiggle my fingers and they're shaking. Well, I go to put them on the strings. And of course you can't have shaky strings when you're flying to play the guitar, but within a song or so I get warmed up and then I get that confidence. And I, so what I try to do now is I try to warm up enough to when I get up on that stage, even if I'm nervous and I just keep thinking to myself, they're going to love it. They're going to love it. And I just dig in. That's awesome. You got to get over that fear, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think you can. If Andre Segovia didn't at 76, what hope right. do I have? <laughs> well, I guess, I guess the point is that we all feel it. And those of us who uh, are most successful are those who are able to work through it and, uh, you know, not let it debilitate them. Well, right. and and the other thing too is it keeps you from getting having a getting cocky, basically, because once that happens, you know, oh, there's nothing I can learn. Oh, I'm fine. I don't really have to rehearse. So if there's that little bit of fear, it's always keeping you on your toes and striving to be better. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. Pepe Romero, one of the Los Romeros, you know, knighted by the King of mm -hmm. Spain, played for the Pope. He told me, um, he said, you that charges the battery and then when you get on stage you release that battery and i like what you meant about um debilitating well i've been in that case a couple times like one time i was asked to play for nam uh, in fact i played for the world nam people and that went really really great but i was doing a concert and i had done a corporate at the birch aquarium beforehand 
And I only had about an hour to get over to this concert. Well, there was a SIG alert on the freeway. This is before cell phones. So I'm sitting in this freeway, waiting, looking at my watch going, oh, no, oh, no. It's the past the time. It's a half hour past. 45, finally it opens up. I get there and I sneak in the back door. And I was all so anxious from, you know, being yeah. late. And I, as soon as I snuck in the back door, the presenter peeks back and goes, oh, he's arrived. Welcome. And I, no, I haven't even taken my guitar out of the case or tuned up. You know, I didn't say that, but I'm thinking that. I remember getting up on stage and I was so rattled that I just literally was, you know, but then I ended up doing like two cons, two encores, you know, so it was, uh, it was absolutely a great thing, but it was, um, that was the worst time. And now I just try to, I try to relax. And if I'm, if I feel like I'm going to be, you know, really nervous, I'll have maybe a glass of wine. And that just kind of gets me just enough to, to relax, but I don't ever do any partying. Even when I, corporate, I've never at corporates, I've never even drank in a wine or beer. I don't do any of that. I do my job and I do it completely focused. And then uh, afterwards I'll go have a beer. Thank you for that. And good for yes. you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for that. So what's happening now? Other than all of the albums that you have to get on track. Well, okay. Um, I, I constantly learn. Alex, as you were saying, you know, working on, I constantly learn every day. I work on new stuff every day. I write. I, it's not a day goes by. I don't write music. I mean, I don't write it physically, but you know, you come up with it. I'll write the words and stuff if it's if it's a song like that. But I also run a facility called Rock and Roll San Diego. I don't know if you've heard of that or not, but it's, it's located right next to the sports arena of all things, and it's about thirteen thousand square feet. We have twenty eight rehearsal rooms, and um, I have a great staff, so I don't have to be there that much now. But it's been going for eleven and a half years, and it's just one of those facilities that that just was meant to be because after the recession of 2009, the crash, uh, there was no corporate work as we all know. Right. And so, and then when it was offered, I had bought a house up by Yosemite because I was traveling all the time. I go to show, okay, travel, travel, travel. And then all of a sudden there's nothing. And then when it was, oh, well, we've got, you know, two or $300. So I can't travel for two or 300 right. bucks no. to San Diego. Right. So I said, I'm going to go back to San Diego. And when we did, I thought I need cash. I need, how long is this going to be? So I opened up what's called rock and roll San Diego. And, and since then we've had, I've had Steve Tyler there. I've had village people. Um, I've had Ace Freely from Kiss, literally hundreds and hundreds of, of, of international bands. But one day in one day, November of 2019, um, was kind of the pinnacle at that time, right before the COVID. And I had Billy Gibbons, Nancy Wilson from Heart, George wow. Thoroughgood. I had wow. Warren Haynes from uh, Almond Brothers and George Thoroughgood, all practicing at my place and their tour buses and crew. And I went, okay, that's that's killer. That's and it's amazing. exciting. We have about 30 bands a day on the busier days, maybe 20, 25 on the slower days. And it was just, um, it's a... a I, to, what I've seen now, it's amazing stuff because even one, we, when I first opened, I opened up as a music school, but then it fastly turned a rehearsal studio. But one of the students I had, bass player, he came in a few years ago and he said he was going to practice and he was older than, I think it was, you know, 19 or 20. And he said, um, I go, well, how are you doing? Oh, great, great. You know, so, and he goes, oh, I'm playing at the sports arena. I opened for the 1975s. And so here was a student who we had taught how, and what we're doing is not just teaching, but how to play up on stage, how to communicate with the techs, um, real life stuff, That's how cool. to ask for monitors, how to really, when you need to have a need, how do you 
do it. And also not to stand there and just stand there, but to rock out and to give the love because, you know, when you watch somebody perform, you want a performer. And I'm right. really, when I sit in a chair and play classical, it's a lot different thing because you're just sitting in a chair. But when I rock, I work people. I love to communicate. I play Palo for a year, five, five hours a day wow. out there in the cave, what they call the cave when they open it for the first year. And I remember I played right after Yes and Toto by myself. I brought five guitars and the ukulele. And I had learned a lesson when they let, they had a concert right up above and the caves underneath it and holds, you know, a couple, two or three hundred. And there's nothing in this cave, nothing except chairs and tables and the bar and all that, no stimulation. And this, and I thought when they, and they as soon as the concert ended, people filled up the down because there's like 12, 1300 people and this only holds two or 300. So it fills up. And so the moment those doors open, I started with grand funk and I went into other stuff with Jimi Hendrix. And I was like, you know, everybody, I'm working everybody. <laughs> and I, when I finally, and by the way, five hours, I remember a couple of times I only took one small break because I've learned if I, if I, if I stop, everybody leaves, everybody leaves. But I stopped at one point because I was like three hours in it. And two of the tables, like three of the tables, they came up and go, you know, you kick butt over. Yes. Just by yourself, dude. And I thought, yeah, I got yeah. it. <laughs> and you were solo. You said solo. you were solo. Yeah. Wow. And I, 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 Five wow. hours solo. Yeah. Oh. And by the way, sit for five hours and do that. And I bought 12 strings at that time, which is even harder because oh you got to mash down 12 strings. But um, I did it. And um, it's actually really good. When I do that, I'm on fire. I mean, I, I don't have to practice after that. I don't go home and practice. <laughs> well, you must have calluses on your fingers to, oh, yeah. to die for. Yeah. I mean, they must yeah. be so well. I, you never feel any. I, I, I literally can. And I do. I play. All, pretty much every moment I can, I play. So, well, I work. My wife says it's always playing. I can't call it playing. I'm working. <laughs> well, yes, it's work. It's work and play. And there's yeah. I mean, it's the best of both worlds, right? Exactly. It's yeah. Perfect. Exactly. You know, you love what you do. You don't work a day in your life, right? Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the way you sound, Mark. That yeah. You Thank you. Well, another thing that I had done that was real cool. I wanted to mention in I think it was 1996 or 98 or something. Um, John F. Kennedy Jr. came into town. I don't know if you remember that. He, he they rented the zoo and his George magazine was going on. And they had it, and they I got hired to well, AJ Croce was playing, oh and my. I got hired to do sound for him. And it's a little trio, jazz trio. And I had went up to JF Kennedy on a break, and he was in the buffet line next to Marie Shriver. And my wife had sent me with the black and white cameras to try to get a picture with him. And I asked him, and he goes, Oh, right now I got to chill out, man. Just like that, those exact words. I thought, oh, okay. So at the end of the night, I'm packing up and lo and behold, down the, down the aisle, here comes Jeff Kennedy with someone else. And he goes, Hey, I know you wanted that photo. I bought my friend so he could take it. Nobody wow. does that. I, I, wow. nobody does. And I just, I, you should see a, a picture. I'll get it to you. But I'm, my face is cracking. I'm smiling so much. It looks like we're drinking buddies because his tie is kind of crooked and we're like, uh, you know, wow. but, um, and I had played for George Wilson when he was governor uh, for about eight people at Balboa Park. And I think the, uh, one of those small uh, art rooms, and two hours, he never even looked at me. He never even gave me the finger or nothing. He, and I thought, how could you sit with a guitarist for two hours and not even look at him? And he walks out. And I thought, what a difference, man. These yeah. personalities, you know. That's when a I great played, story. Yeah, when I played, great. Thank you for sharing that. When I played for George, Gerald Ford, um, it was funny because I roll in with my little rack and I've got a bag and my amplifier and a little guitar, not a big amp, very small. Um, but I remember he's sitting there 
And I take out my guitar out of the case, and I was thinking, I could have a Tommy gun in there. They never checked it or did anything, but there was a guy standing with a gym bag, which probably would have pulled it out and blew me away right. before. Faster than anything. you could, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So is there anything that you'd like to promote? Well, um, my rock and roll San Diego, of course, if any, it's, it's a great place. We do retail recording. We do live, so we went into live streaming and videos at the COVID. Of course, we could do nothing else. And we have a great, great, beautiful, beautiful setup, a big room to do that in fantastic lights. I, I invested over a hundred thousand in the lights and so forth. And, um, it's just amazing. I know it's like, why didn't we know this? Oh. <laughs> and I, I, I wanted to promote that for, for corporates because there's 28 rooms and a corporation could come in and rent this place and be in a, the funnest thing they've ever been. in. And we have done several where they bring in their people and then they get to get up and jam and listen to other things. And it just, and if you saw the place, there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. I made the coolest coolest looking everywhere you go you can't stop but go wow this is cool house of blues said they got it no i got beat well mar <laughs> we're going we, yeah. we have to ask you for a tour yes please I'd love to give that to we you. we have to come and see san diego rock and roll san diego we, we just had tesla last week they they rented it and came in there for a pet they did it for a, a what do you call it motivational thing you know and they, they had some people in their the tesla play you know jam and all that stuff and they loved it too. So, and are you telling us that you can record there? Is it a studio? As yeah, well? but it's a, but it's but it yeah it is. But the big room we have one big room. But it but it has to be live. We could double tracks that was quiet vocals later if we needed to because there's all these other rooms and there's not lead in the walls. So uh -huh. you could, if the band's not playing in silent, you'll hear drums or something right, coming something through from the another walls. room. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing I, you know, I'd like to promote is too, is when I come out with this Irish album, uh, which hopefully will be at the end of the year, the first part of next year. And um, yeah. And we, uh, when I, I was doing some work in London a few years ago, and we had an opportunity to go to Abbey Road and uh, the program that they set up for people there, for corporates there, uh, sounds a lot like what you have in mind here. Uh, they bring groups in to tour the facility, and then for an extra fee, you can actually record with the group. Uh, you can bring in a song, or you could do one of the Beatles songs, and it's a great uh, team-building exercise. It's a great morale builder. You're not only mm -hmm. in this great studio where greats have played, but now you are also recording in the studio. And the the impact that that has on the everyday Joe who never has an opportunity to do that is remarkable. So you have something there, my friend. And, yeah, and we have, and we've taken, we've taken groups that come in and I'm really good with getting people who's never played and within a half hour, I can get a drummer, a bass player, and a guitar player and a keyboard player to play a song, even if they've never played before. I'm really good at that. Really? And it'd be very simple, like two chords, maybe three chords. And of course, the, the person has to read the lyrics. They don't have time to memorize it. Right. But um, and I've done that. And it is so fun because the rest of the people uh, in the audience is just goes nuts because they get to see their friends who've never played up there doing uh, ACDC, for example, TNT, <laughs> TNT, you know. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And so. 
Oh, I think I would like to promote, if I can mention another thing that that I've been doing for corporates that I love, 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 and I'll have to get you the promotional from it. It's absolutely incredible. It's my favorite thing right now for that. Um, But I bring in a bunch of guitars. It's billed as a vintage guitar display, but I bring in a carpet, I bring in curtains, I bring in lighting, I bring in amplifiers, I bring in about maybe a dozen guitars and basses. And then I bring in a whole collection of silly wigs that look like Axl Rose or reggae, sunglasses, you know, the whole attire. So when the corporate walks in, they come up to me, say, what are you doing here? And I go, get this. And I hand someone sticks. We put sunglasses. We put the big wigs on them because, you know, most of them are just corporate guys and don't, and the women. And they go, as soon as I do that first group who walks by me, I got the biggest lines of anybody yes. all night because they, and there's no much, nothing funner at that whole place. And I, even the other, I did one not too long ago at, in uh, Palos Verdes, Ranchos Palos Verdes. Mm-hmm. And um, there was uh, a group playing that the main singer had done in a movie. He had played Freddie Mercury. Um, and he was the main attraction. What was funny because right when they were going to start, I had a big crowd. Almost everybody stayed for me while they were still playing because they were just having so much damn fun. Wow. It's just fun. I like to have fun with people and I get them rocking and I spread their legs out. I kind of kick them out, show them how to hold a guitar. Come on, you know, rock, do this, you know, and pretty soon within a minute or two. And then we snap photos and little videos. And then, like I said, the rest of the night, lines, lines, lines Mm -hmm. to come up and hang with me. For For a while, and I'm not really sure if it still exists, there was a product in the market, uh, for C-suite executives that could go to a rock and roll band camp for a certain amount of time and learn how to play and be uh, tutored by rock stars. So this, in essence, is the same kind of product. Uh, You're putting people in front of uh, instruments and you're letting them go to town and you're teaching them the basics and giving them uh, a few moments to feel like a rock star. Exactly. And it's funny because at that one, there was one of the main guys from the company. It was some investment company. I forget it was. They've been around for a long time. Um, and he, we were we were showing pictures. I was showing of my 80s spandex and leather and makeup. And he had the same thing. And now he's just a corporate guy, completely bald. Right, and, right. you know, and he stayed with me most of the night. He was like there all the time. And we jammed. And I, I also do that. Anybody, anybody you guys play? And then we'll sit and jam and jam. And I try to get him moving around and uh, but that to me, I'm making money and I'm having fun as hell yes. and they are having fun as hell too. So that's awesome. And, and you're, you're, you know, exactly. And you're, you're teaching them to loosen up and to be more authentic and to let themselves out of, you know, uh, the, the secrets that are hidden behind the suit and tie. Uh, <laughs> it's a real blessing when you can lose the fear around looking silly. When you can have that, I don't care. I just want to have fun. That's, to me, that's one of the the best things in life. Well, that's all it is. And to me, honestly, especially now, and my wife and I have had something for over 20 years, no regrets. Every day, live life to the fullest. I don't cheat. I, I live a clean life. You be fair to people and have fun. Even though, you know, how life is, things get in the way that may not be so fun, but you still try to get through it and you have fun every day because who knows when the end of our time's coming. And I tell you, it's all about having, when I'm up on stage, I'm having a ball. And every picture, if you ever see of me, my face is grinning so big because I'm just loving it, you know? That is, that's so obvious to us, even just talking about it right now, the enthusiasm that you have. 
what is your three-legged Thank stool? You. What are the what are the tenet, three tenets that you live by that you consider your three-legged stool? Uh, positive attitude is, I think, the biggest thing in life you can have. And I try to instill that in everybody because a lot, you know, a lot of times we have get sort of negative about things. And my thought is that doesn't help anything. It won't help a thing. So stay positive and then enjoy every day. Uh, even if you have to do a lot of stuff that you don't, but find time, some time in that day to really enjoy yourself doing whatever it is that makes you happy. And then the last thing is to me is family first. I, I love friends and family and I'm very devoted to all of them. You know, we really have not talked about your kids. I'm curious to know, are any of them musical? Um, they don't do music, no. They love to just kind of sing and play, but they got into dance uh, because my wife uh, was a got them into dance very early. In fact, she still has a company called Details Dancewear that that sells to 17 countries. She makes dance costumes. And she, she had, like I said, worked at the Old Globe for a long time, too, doing stuff. Um, oh, when Jack was there doing all this, you know, his, his shows. I might know her. What's her name? Darlene Langford. And she has details dancewear. And she sells basically to children who go through dance class and for competition. Mm -hmm. Her main thing is competition dance costumes. And she makes thousands of them a year. I'm not yes, kidding. I bet. And, and so they, they, they were into dance. My oldest daughter. Now, they both work for her. One, my oldest daughter does all the marketing and all the photographs. Uh, and then my other daughters is all the general management of the company, but they both went through dance. My oldest daughter actually went on tour when she got out of high school and um, she actually went to college Long Beach. And that's when she started going on tours, doing, you know, different things, but she, she didn't like it. And so um, she loved dancing, but there was a lot of stuff about it. She didn't like. Yeah. And so that's how that came into. Was she a, a ballerina? Uh, she did ballet and she did tap. She even danced with Bob Hope at one point before he wow. got his little kid. Wow. And she was, she won. She, I, I, I'm not kidding. Okay. If I took a 10 by 10 room and put all the trophies she had won when she was little, it would fill the floor. And she, many of them, two or three feet tall, she won. And she did swing dance too. She was very big on swing dancing and she would do all the flips and everything else. And she, she, yeah, she, she, she still would love to dance, but now she's, you know, past that time of, of doing that. So. Well, it doesn't seem that could, that could even be possible that she could be past yeah. that time. Everybody is so young today. What, what is, what is one of your daily habits that you strongly believe contributes to your success? Mm. Well, I have to go back to what I said about a positive attitude. That's a daily habit because it's something you have to work on you and do. then and then to me is practice every day and, and learn and learn i have to play my music and learn and write those that's it mm -hmm. i mean i think that alone is incredible and talk and to that, my family every day yeah. i talk to them every day call them yeah but to be that consistent with something is really incredible time you know the day flies by and uh, the fact that you're able to spend hours on the guitar, uh, even if you, you know, you do so falling asleep, it's still you get it in and you make it happen. Well, I, I live two lives. And honestly, people saw me, they'd be Jekyll and Hyde because I live the day life. I'm doing my business. I have to do all the stuff you have to do. And then, you know, if any family things are traveling and then the night times come when everyone goes to bed by nine o'clock and I play till I usually write work till about three or four in the morning every night and like i said every night every night and i have never dropped i dropped one time i dropped my guitar but every night i'm just sitting there and i fall asleep and i wake up okay time to go to bed 
Wow. <laughs> you do have two lives. I, yeah. I think, yeah. And so, it's, and I also do the hard stuff. Though. Many people who know me for classical and things. In fact, for many years, I never even promoted the hard stuff on it because I didn't want to mix it. But at my age now, I go, you know what? I don't really care if they don't, you know, it, it is what it is. And, and I, I am who it. I am. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I am what I am. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> what are the things you tell yourself when no one else is listening? Hmm. Let's see. Mm. Well, I think going back to procrastination, get organized. Uh, because honestly, although I, I practice and work really hard at music, my organization for details in respect to goes with that. And I just keep telling myself, get with it, Mark, get with it, make your calendar and really stick to it. But I find myself getting up, where's my guitar, instead of doing other things I should be doing. You know? <laughs> hmm. Well, maybe that's your answer. Maybe the other things you should be doing all are around that guitar. Well, yeah, well, I, I need to get, forget somebody who's my right-hand person who can do every all those other things and let me just, just play, Ex but that's not how it works. Exactly. You know? And it's I funny know. because I, I, I'm probably one of the, I am the only one I know still of all my friends who wakes up in the morning when your eyes pop open, doink. Where's my guitar? I want to play, and I can <laughs> I can literally play all day and be completely happy. I don't know why, but to me, I'm, it's just that's how I am, and I, I hope I stay that way forever. You know, I probably will. It is a gift. Yeah, it is a gift, or or it's a curse, uh, or it's a curse, right? It <laughs> well, we'd have to ask your wife that, right? And the hour, the hour. Of the oh, morning. she loves being alone. She loves her own music, and she loves reading books and running her business. And we're very independent. We we literally sometimes don't see each other for two or three weeks. When we get together, we have a great time. And she loves her independence. She's into whole different movies and things, and and a lot of our own music. And I do my thing. But when we get together, we have respect and we have love, and we. We're very happy together. So how long have you how long have you been married? 41 years. And we were together for one year in sin before that. So wow. 42 years together. Yeah. And, God uh, bless. That's great. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. I can't even believe it. Especially short with me. Can you imagine? Because back then I was doing 300 shows a year or whatever. And I would come home many times. Well, we didn't come home. I was gone. But when I did, she never, ever, like, because most times, you know, when you did rock bands, you wouldn't come home till three or four in the morning. Right. And she never, ever had a problem. She just, you know, you're tired, you're hungry. What time do you got to wake up? Because if I came home the next day, it was never where you've been or what were you doing? Right. Ever. Not one time in my relationship. So. That's beautiful. And we have great sex too. So. <laughs> that's There you go. I think that's a lot of it. You know? That's all of it. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, when's the last time you tried something new? Mm, okay. Um, it was last month, actually. Uh, I, my brother, uh, my oldest brother I was talking about, he actually passed away. And we went up, I went up to my other brother's house and he had a banjo that he had gotten at a yard sale. And so I thought, I love banjo. And so I've been fiddling with that. First thing I did was work on dueling banjos, you know, and because I'm not going to actually go out and perform it, but just to record with it, you know, and that was, I say, that's something new. Um, I did try escargot once a couple of years ago, which <laughs> I never thought I'd eat, but uh, I didn't, I, I'd never do it again. But, you know, I just have to tell you, my, I wanted to play the banjo when I was a little girl. That's what I wanted to play. Isn't it my killer? And my mother told me it was too masculine. Oh. And so she went out and bought me an antique mandolin. So that's what I played. Oh, you still have that antique mandolin? I still have it. I still have it. And someday I want to learn to play again. Well, I loved it. I loved playing. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I wanted to play the banjo. Really? I, I did too. I actually had one when I was a kid, but I never really learned how because dueling banjos came out, you know, off deliverance. And that was it. Mm-hmm. I, like, I got it. And it, by the way, you get on YouTube videos, you watch Roy Clark, you watch Glenn Campbell, um, and they jam with these banjo players that are, it's, yeah. it blows my mind. And by the way, Glenn Clark, I, 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 I mean, I, I didn't know how great he was until I, you know, later years now, I've been really watching that. He was such such a talent both of Roy Clark too just amazing talents so so how old would you be if you didn't know how old you are this is the perfect question for you Mark (laughs) I know it really is it is okay I have to tell you okay um I think Bill Bill Watts from Rolling Stone said it so eloquently he said perfectly he said you know most rock musicians start at 18 and then never go beyond that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, i wouldn't say i'm 18 but probably 22 and mm. honestly it's like even my grandma told me when, when she was in her late 70s she goes you know i feel like i'm a teenager but when i look in the mirror i see this old person and that's kind of what i'm doing i look at my friends i go god they look old and then i look in the mirror I go hmm i'm getting there too mm-hmm. but um for my age i'm doing very very well and i plan to go to my next birthday better shape better attitude just completely better than ever and having actually product now that i can start really uh, pushing because people can hear my art well there is definitely a boyish enthusiasm that just comes through so loud and clear in you uh, so i can definitely see the 18 year old boy still there you know well I, I have my grandson and and i'm the one that can sit with him and play and really you know really get down to playing with him i don't stand up like a parent and look at him i'm down on the floor i'm crawling through things i'm like because ah, 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 uh just why not? I mean, life's short. You got to have fun. And, and, and man. Yeah. And they're blessed to have that energy in their lives. Uh, you know, you teaching them, uh, that positivity is humor and humor, humor, really big. And and by the way, humor is an art. I mean, it takes intelligence. You know, I started with him at one years old, uh, working with humor and to this day, every time we get together, we're laughing and laughing. Of course, the parents won't let him do anything. And I'll be kind of like, cause they won't let him put his finger in his nose. And I'll be like that on the side, you know, making funny faces. And, <laughs> and but, so he knows me and we just have a ball. And, but, I, but I think, I think in any, anybody, that's one of the best traits you can have, because if you can laugh and even laugh at yourself when you do stupid things, mm-hmm. it's just, just, it just release. It's a release, mm-hmm. you know? Not just for you, but for everybody around you as well. (laughs) We need it, don't we? Especially in these times, man, time, things have changed so big and, and there's so much stress in life. And I think just, just let out a good laugh, tell some good jokes and have a good time. Do you, do your uh, girls uh, follow that, uh, that sense of humor and uh, positivity? Do they have that? yeah somewhat not quite what i do um but yeah i would say somewhat yeah they they love to have laugh and have a good time uh they're they're much more organized and serious about a lot of things than i am um but especially my older daughter she loves to laugh and joke about things and tell dad jokes which i always love to tell so mm-hmm. <laughs> wow well you don't look like a grandfather Mm-mm. you don't act like a grandfather and you don't sound like a grandfather yeah, but not that there's any. I know it's hard to think of myself as granddad or gramps or whatever. I'm like, huh? But am I really? I guess I am. 
but I could be a great grandfather by now, really. Really? <laughs> if it had been different. Yeah. Maybe okay. I am and I don't know it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that one for another uh, podcast. Yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> so what's next? What is the next thing you're going to be doing? It is actually getting my act together in promotional so I can uh, play more jobs. My, my things that I really want to finish my life out with now is I want to write, record, and perform. And that's my mission now. There's a lot of things I've had to do business-wise that have been very rough in the last few years, but that's all I want to do. And that's what I, I've, I've got to do those because that's my fulfillment. That's my mission in life. I know it is. I have really great art that nobody knows about. I'll play for them, but no one will ever have it to take home. And I feel mine's just as good as, as many, many people. And I just need to get it to people. And that's my mission now to actually get that done. Yeah, and I've been singing you know, for a long time. I'm, I've been singing very hard and I've got in the last two years, especially last year, I've gotten better and better and better and better. And I really feel like now, wow, I've got control. I can really sing. I'm, I'm becoming a singer. And I honestly, if I could go back, that's all I would have done because singing is so physical. Well, you guys know, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. you're, ah, and, and I love it. I love the power and push and, you know, I, yeah. So definitely do more of that. There's so much wow. more to come. There is so much more to come. And we definitely need a tour and we definitely need to hear the new stuff when you're ready to share it with us. I would love uh, to. It's just been, you know, we really have not spoken in person. We've not met face to face like we're doing so now. And this is what a joy it is for us to get to know you on this level and to see the Mark Langford that we've known about for many, many years, all that you are much more than we ever really knew, quite honestly. So this has been so enlightening for us and for our audience as well. I, I can't thank you enough. I, I could go on. I mean, my we could honor. go on. Thank you, thank you. Because you've been a legend in town for many, many years. And honestly, I don't I don't make a phone call. I don't, I don't put out any advertisement. I, and I need to do that because I used to be, before that crash, I was working all the time. You know how everybody did. Mm -hmm. And then I started this business and I went, okay, now I'm doing business. And I still play all the time. I still do a lot of work, but, but um, I, I honestly, if I could, if I could shut it all down that business and just go in, which is my goal, um, I, I want to get back and be the performer that I know that that's what I was born to do. Yeah. yeah we'd like to see that too, Mark. Yeah. Yes, yeah, very sure. much. Yeah. Get all that other stuff off your plate. Let's do I this. No, shred all the paper. We don't need it. We promo, promo, promo. Really, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so, so, so much yes. for giving us your time today. And uh, we know we're going to be seeing you in the future because we're going to be working together. So there's no goodbyes here just until until next time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Anthony. Of Thank you, D'Angelo. Appreciate all of you. Uh, this has been our honor, honestly. Truly. Thank you so much for sharing. Awesome. Hey, friends. Thank you so much for listening. We have just one little favor to ask you. In our show notes, we put a survey. We'd like to know who you are. Would you mind filling out the survey for us? Just a few short questions, that's all. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks.